Welcome, Redeemed Church, family, and friends. We're entering into our third week of the Advent season, and what a great uh, launch we've had to this Advent season. You know, I love the first message on hope, and I was just uh, really touched by the reality. Sometimes hope feels like, Kurt said, we're being pulled back or drawn back, and, and really the further back you go, the further the momentum carries you and the, the better opportunity to go forward. And so hope really is like that. At first, it feels like it's not working in the right direction. And then, as he would say, come on, we're shot. And it goes beyond even probably our greatest expectations. And then last week on Peace with Eddie, it was so wonderful to have Kendra read the children's story of the Christmas pageant. And it was just fantastic. Loved it. And then to hear Peace... Um, it was just uh, very moving to me, and I loved Eddie's style of uh, telling us the bottom line is that Jesus came to bring peace before that's really where he had to disrupt our human peace first. And it was almost like to the degree that our peace is disrupted, then that is the gate that opens up for his peace to come through. And so, Sir Eddie, thank you so much for being like a DJ in the PJ, speaking of a diehard Christmas from the little baby Jesus and Talladega Nights. It was just a really fun message. And today I get to speak on uh, joy. And joy is such an integral part of the Advent. So when we're waiting for something, the goal is that we're doing it in a way that builds anticipation and that we're excited. It's like receiving an out-of-town guest into your home. It's, it's not just waiting for that person to come, but it's actually building the things that, you know, to put our house in order for that guest to come to. And so it's participatory, not just anticipatory. And we're going to see that joy is so significant as it's a part of each element of the Advent but the third advent is really going to focus on the power of joy to transform the situation. And friends, if there was ever a time, I, you know, I don't know where you're at right now and all the COVID crazy and all the civil unrest and the, uh, you know, just the political tensions, everyday life. I mean, sometimes I sit there and I just want to go back to a normal that no longer exists even. But the, the fact is, if joy could come and be a vital part of our life right now, it'd flip everything. And that's what we're going to see happen in our story today. So I want you to go back with me to Luke uh, chapter 2, verses 16 through 20. I'm going to just take a, a snippet of it, of setting us up for this amazing Christmas story, focusing in on joy. Luke 2, 16, it says, So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph, and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. This is an amazing encounter. Again, the shepherds come on the scene, and as Eddie said last week, the shepherds are doing what shepherds are supposed to do. They come forward, and they've seen a message, and they're checking it out, and then they're verifying that what they heard was real. They come, and I, and I mean, they are just marveled 
that it was exactly the way it was told them by angels. How crazy that their life could be disrupted so much. And yet when they come in and pursue it and seek it and see it, their life was never the change. They went back to their stinky, smelly shepherding job, but this time praising God with a skip in their step, excited, just knowing that God had truly introduced something brand new in this crazy planet of ours. I also love that other spectrum of it, that when Mary hears this, it says that her joy was more of a, a deep uh, sense of pondering. So she's actually, you know, thinking, think about it this way. Mary has been touched by the Holy Spirit to have a child as a virgin. Her whole community probably doesn't believe her. It was a struggle for Joseph to believe her, right? And so God had to intervene in those situations many times just with Joseph and Mary. And now they're in a 90-mile hike from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem. I mean, friends, that's, that's 15 miles a day for six days on a donkey. You go, there's no room for them in the end. Everything's going backwards for Mary. And now the, the child comes, these shepherds come, and they look at it and they say, yeah, God's in this. For her, it must have been so validating that she just treasured it. She just soaked it in. And I love it. Joy is like that. It can put a skip in your step or it can touch us in the deepest part of our needs in our life. And so today, as we're getting ready to have our own opportunity to encounter joy, it's my prayer for us this very day that you will see joy as a treasure in our land in a very deep place in our lives. And we will be different today because of this opportunity that we've had to encounter truth and the Holy Spirit bringing joy to each of us. So first of all, before I go too far on joy, I want to make sure that there's an understanding of what we're going to try to accomplish today. We're going to look at three different areas uh, or questions around joy. Number one, what is it? Number two is how do we get it? And number three is what do we do with it? And so first of all, let's look at what is joy? Because what I'm seeing is a lot of people in our society confuse joy for happiness. And so I just want to acknowledge that happiness is uh, legitimate. Happiness is something that brings us uh, comfort. It brings us pleasure. It's actually usually uh, tied to our flesh, uh, you know, our human needs, our human stuff. It's used 14 times in all the Bible. And so th there's a, uh, you know, an opportunity for us to be happy. I just want to make sure that we understand that we're not really supposed to seek happiness. Happiness is more tied to that word happenstance. It's circumstantial. So happiness is something that uh, might have an impact, but it may not be a lasting one. It's more surface level and, su and superficial. It uh, normally, unfortunately, is uh, tied to the flesh, and therefore it's going to have a temporal impact. I... Uh, I think of happiness uh, used in, inappropriately uh, in one of the greatest stories ever told. It's about Jonah. Do you remember Jonah was uh, told by God as a prophet, I want you to go to Nineveh. You're going to go and you're going to speak to 120,000 people. And even though they're an enemy to him and to the Jews, you're going to go and you're going to ask them to repent. You're going to tell them the time is now that's urgent. And they're, they're going to be given an opportunity to find me. And so Jonah doesn't want to go because it's a tough assignment. He doesn't like the Ninevites, but he ends up going. Remember, the well spits him up on the beach. 
So he goes there, and then sure enough, the people actually repent. And Jonah, we find him in the fourth chapter, verse 6. He's sitting up on a hill overlooking the city thinking, well, if they don't hurry and repent, God's going to smite them, you know, which is smoke them and smite them at the same time. And he's going to watch them burn. And so he's just up there kind of in a, in a weird, non-joyful, non-righteous place, waiting to see if indeed the brimstone comes down and destroys these people. I wanted to just read Jonah chapter 4, verse 6 with you. Uh, you know, again, put it in context. Jonah spoke repentance. He's sitting up there. He's waiting to watch what happens. And it says, So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. So he's just sitting up there. It's hot. He's watching what the outcome will be. And God gives him a plant to give him some shade, to uh, give him a break, and he's just so happy. This is, to me, again, is just weird. And God then, if you read the whole chapter, he comes and he says, Jonah, what is wrong with you? And so he actually smites the plant, and Jonah is uh, back in that place of having uh, a lot of uh, sun and discomfort. Then Jonah starts to complain. He's no longer happy. It was contingent upon that plant giving him shade. And God says to to Jonah, you just don't get it. You're sitting up here whining about being caught in the heat, and you don't even see my heart. My heart was to see these 120,000 people, much less the animals, not have to suffer from brimstone or heat or death or hell. And and God said, Jonah, you're, you're just upside down. And that's where the story leaves off. And so, friends, I'm just letting us know happiness outside of what God wants for us is nothing. In fact, it can actually prevent us from seeing what God really wants. God wants an eternal joy. He wants a transformed human. God even uses, we're going to see later on, John the Baptist to speak to people about creating change. He wasn't saying, I want you to go change the world. He was telling them, I want you to be changed so that the world is going to be able to receive a message. And so it's not about trying to go out there and get an outcome. It's about going to God and allowing Him to make us very different people. So the the difference between joy and happiness can also be seen in the fact that uh, we need to understand that we're a threefold being. And as a threefold being, there's a physical element to us. We're physical bodies. There's a soul to us, which is our mind and our emotions. That's that volition. Uh, That's what we call our ability to develop relationships and make choices. That's our social realm, so to speak. So the the body is the physical realm. The uh, soul is the relational or social realm. And then that third fold portion of us is our spirit. That's the eternal realm. That's where we are able to really walk in truth and to be able to see things from God's perspective instead of just the finite finite, uh, limits from man's. And so happiness has a tendency to work with us in that physical, fleshly realm, the externals versus the eternals. And this is what's interesting. If any of us are trying to find true joy through the physical, through the flesh, it really won't make it to the spirit. You know, even if you are trying to find happiness in other people in that social, relational realm, what happens is if we're just using them so that we can be happy, then that's not a spirit truth. That's favor brokering, and God's not about that. 
God's about loving people unconditionally. So there's really no way that you can take happiness and force it on other people so that you can feel good in your spirit. The way it really works is that God being spirit brings joy in our innermost being, in our spirit. Therefore, we have something to give called unconditional love to other people in the relational social realm. And then it almost doesn't matter what happens in that physical or fleshly realm, right? But we flip it and we go wrong. This is the, the beautiful thing is that when you really have the true joy of God in your innermost being, then the way you interact with people is extremely different. And then the way that things happen circumstantially or the happenstance of the world isn't going to uh, knock us off our ability to truly enjoy who God is and to love other people the way that he does. But if again, friends, if we try to do it from uh, that physical, fleshly, and make a spiritual difference, it won't work. We have to do it God's way. So joy is going to land as a part of God in our innermost being because that's who he is and how he works. And so I just want you to acknowledge that it does work this way. And I want to read Romans 14, 17 to us so that we can see the way that God has set it up. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This really reminds me of what uh, Kirk talked to us about hope. When he was saying that uh, hope isn't some optimistic perspective, uh, hope isn't contingent upon outcomes, he was saying hope is a noun. It's Jesus. Hope is a verb. It's what we bring, not just what we hope in, right? And so as we hope and experience Christ, what the result is we have hope to give to others. And then, I, again, it's so significant to realize to the degree that we have hope, sometimes it means that the need that God puts us in is a place where a lot of hope is going to be released. And so that's that pulling back. We may not live in the time where it's the easiest to be able just to see people hopeful. Right now, I see a lot of people. I mean, there there are a lot of folks that are short on hope. There's a lot of people that are short on joy. There's a lot of people who are short on peace. And uh, in fact, there's uh, seemingly a lot of people who are long on mean. And I, I think that the only thing that we're going to be able to do is to overcome our circumstances, overcome the people who are upside down and flip it by bringing something different into their situations. So I just think that that's uh, our new uh, mindset that God's setting us up for is it's not what we get, it's what we bring. And so now that being the case, I want you to go and look at the Christmas story one more time. We're going to go back to Luke chapter 1, verses 15, where God's uh, promising the forerunners for the Um, Messiah. And so he's talking now to the uh, family of John the Baptist. And you know, this is such a unique relative of Jesus. Uh, John the Baptist sometimes gets a bad rap. It would almost paint him out to be this eccentric, uh, wild person who's like a screamer. And I know I can appreciate that because every now and then when I get excited, I kind of scream a little bit. But it's not like because I'm mad. Sometimes I can't help it. I'm so 
intensely moved by truth and joy that it's hard for me to watch other people not get it. I just want to like yell the joy right into them. It just doesn't work that way. But I, I want to show you that from the very beginning, John the Baptist, who was called to be the forerunner of the promised Messiah, the good news, was touched by the Holy Spirit with joy. So Luke 1.15, speaking of him, it says, And he, again, John the Baptist, will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. That is so amazing to me. And so God's word's very clear. At the very beginning, this John the Baptist is going to be given some joy that's not going to come from planet Earth or other people, but from God himself. And now look at uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 44. This is where uh, Elizabeth uh, has Mary visiting. And look what happens in this dialogue between the two. She says to Mary, For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. So it really happened, friends. John the Baptist, while in his mother's womb, was touched by God with joy. Baby Jesus in the womb comes and there is an exchange, a spiritual dynamic that happens where John the Baptist can't help but to leap in a womb. And Mary and is told by Elizabeth that that leap was directly tied to joy. So the Spirit of God is able to touch even a baby in a womb can I tell you this very day that what I've asked him to do is to touch us as human hearts with that same joy to transform us in our innermost, deepest place so that we have something vital to hang on to, so that we have something meaningful to give away. And I'm quite convinced that that's exactly what God's intentions are. And so as we're in this season of Advent, anticipating in a, a joyful return of Jesus one day, can we allow him to come into our hearts this very day and bring that same joy to us that the world is so void of and yet in such great need. So that's what he's doing. Now we know what joy is. It's eternal. It's, it's made to land in the spirit. When it lands in our spirit, the relationships will be moved by joy then in our physical bodies, we can overcome so much because we're willing to walk in a joy that the world can't offer. So if that's the case, number two, how do we get it? Well, full disclosure, uh, this is the hard part. You actually have to want it. You have to want eternal joy versus human and earthly comfort. I wish I could say it uh, differently to you, but unless we want it, we won't get it. Now go back to the Christmas story. We're told in Matthew chapter 2, verse 10, that the Magi, they saw the star. I mean, these Magi had been looking for the star since the, the days of Daniel and Babylon. And uh, it's just so amazing. And John, thanks for, Van Ryan, for even teaching that a couple of years ago. It was exciting as we were talking and you were sharing that. It was, it was very exciting for me to go back and do a little uh, further study myself. So for all these years and generations, the Magi were looking for this promised Messiah. These, they saw the star, they knew, but when they went, they didn't just go with a sense of purpose. Scripture tells us they went with joy to seek him. And they, they were on course, they were going. At the same time, they run into Herod, King Herod, who also knew of the forecoming of this promised Messiah. 
and yet there was zero joy with Herod. There's actual evil intention to kill the, the child as a competition to his own power on earth. And so it's interesting to me, you can miss the Messiah because you don't want Messiah. You can also miss joy because you're not looking for, if we're looking for human comfort, if we're looking for human social power, if we're looking for evil, we're gonna miss good when it shows up. It's just, that's how it works. So we actually have to want something that the world doesn't offer. And friends, I, again, I don't know how to tell you anything different than that. If you want to get joy, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you actually have to want it more than whatever else. And whatever else has to take a back seat to it, or it'll compete for our allegiance for the truth of God. And so what's interesting, we see that uh, in the story with the angels, when they were speaking even to the uh, shepherds, they were saying, look, we've got great news for you. And we want you to carry this great news, but it's going to be great joy, which is going to be for all the people. And I just want to read that. It's Luke chapter 2, verse 10. And this is where they're speaking to the shepherds, but they say, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. When we hear that, it should literally stop us in our track. What do all the people need? Joy. If we're going to fragment it like Jonah did and say, no, I don't want good stuff to happen to my enemies or people I don't like or people who haven't treated me well, then we're not going to be able to see that joy. We're just stuck trying to find some happiness while we're getting burned up in the sun, right? If, if we're willing to stop and say to ourselves, I want that kind of joy, great news. That's for everyone. That is what opens up our spirit to be touched by His Spirit. Now, if you want to move that way, then we just need to ask ourselves a quick question. Am I seeking surface-level happiness, social power, or am I looking for God's everlasting uh, purposes for my life? Which one is it? You know, it's good just to kind of stop and ask ourselves, again, am I looking for human comfort? Am I looking for uh, things that will cause me physical happiness, or am I willing to empty those things to find true, eternal, forever happiness uh, or joy? So that's the, the question. Let's just take a moment and, uh, and see ourselves as being able to come to God with a bucket. Now, I know this sounds weird, but if we had a bucket and God said, I'm willing to fill that bucket, I, and, and we, in that bucket, we didn't really know what he was going to put in it, but he was going to, he's just going to say to you, just bring an empty bucket. I'm telling you, I'm willing to bring an empty bucket for what he has versus what the world has to offer. I mean, if God said, Marty, bring an empty bucket and I will fill it, I'm thinking I would treasure that more than anything else that I've already you know, been able to accumulate. And so I just want, to, want us to each look at ourselves right now and say, can we see ourselves in our spirit or, you know, with a bucket that's just empty. Now, for me, I'm, I'm looking for about a five-gallon bucket because I need a lot. I'm not looking for that little, you know, tiny bucket that the kids take to the beach. I'm looking for a serious bucket. And I'm going to have that thing, uh, and I'm going to go to God and say, okay, what do you want to put in it? Now, if we did that and we trusted it, he wanted to put joy and goodness in it. Now we're in the right place. And so for me, uh, as I 
can really use my imagination to work on this? I came to him with my bucket and he said, Marty, what's already in your bucket? And we looked in there and it was like happy stuff, comfort stuff, stuff that means stuff to me. It's like going into your closet or in my case, my garage and all that other stuff. There's a lot of good stuff in those places, right? But if, I, if it's all full of other stuff, I'm not able to receive what he wants. So I have to dump that out. And now, now that's what he's asking us to do. Then he's going to say, now look in your bucket again. And, and now I'm looking in the bucket and there's some, you know, just stains and yucky stuff in there. And it's like rancid. And, and that's, that's just sin. That's just stuff that I've done that's disgusting, that, I, that I'm just unclean. He's going to say, now we need to clean that out. And he's going, no problem. That's what I do. I clean stuff out. I can touch you and your bucket and make it completely clean, white as snow. And so then, great, hey, do that. And then I, I had that bucket, and he said, oh, just one more thing, look in there. And it's like there's bitterness in it. Like when you wash you know, your, a glass and you haven't cleaned it well or rinsed it, and there's that film uh, you know, of bitterness, of yucky soap detergent or whatever. He's going, there's, there's bitterness in your bucket. And that bitterness has come from the times that you've been hurt. It's come from the times that people have created pain in your life. And we need to clean that out too. So I need to do another rinse because I'm able to do that. Now, do you want me to clean your bucket that way? Lord, I'm going to dump out everything that will keep you from filling it up. Lord, I want you to make it clean. Just remove everything. And then, Lord, I want you to also touch it in such a way that it's, there's no bitterness in it. Friends, that's just who he is. That's what he does. I want you to go with me right now because this kind of like might sound like just a, a uh, imaginative thing. This is how it really works in the spirit realm. Read Isaiah 53 with me. It says that he, speaking of the Messiah, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. If you keep reading, it'll go down to eat where it'll say, and for each of us like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to our own ways, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Friends, I really encourage you, spend a little time in Isaiah 53, 6 through 10, and you're going to see that Jesus didn't come just to allow us to be forgiven. Jesus came so that we could have our hurts, our sorrows, and our griefs taken away. He didn't just offer forgiveness of sin. He's offering freedom from pain, from hurt, from grief. How? By carrying our griefs for us in the first place. He didn't just go to a cross so that sins could be forgiven. He carried our pains and our griefs to that same cross so that we could walk in freedom. And without that freedom, there is no joy. Joy comes from knowing that he has carried us through the hardest part and that he has taken our pain on himself by one who loved us in the first place and will replace our sorrows, our griefs, with joy in our innermost being. Now, friends, it may take a while before it lands in that soul part, in that relational, social part. And it may take even longer before it runs out into that a physical realm in our flesh. But I promise you, he will begin his good work in your spirit because that's who he is and that's what he does.
And so I'm asking you today, take your bucket and just go to him and say, come on, Lord, fill me up. It's not like he only has a little bit. It's not like we're asking too much. We're actually asking exactly what he wants us to ask. So if we do get it, I want you to uh, see your bucket now as you've gone to him. And now you look down, and before you did anything, you're going to see it full. It's full of who he is, his presence, his joy, his goodness, that righteousness, that peace, that joy, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, that's what gets filled in it. Now, what are you going to do with it once you got it? Number three, that's the next question. Well, here's what's amazing, and this is the end of the message. You just give it away. What do you do with it? Give it away. And when you give it away, what happens? It gets replenished. As soon as we give it away, it gets full again. Why? Because he has come so that we would know his joy and that his joy would be made full in our lives. And now here's the amazing part, friend. It's not an external bucket. You and I are the bucket. We're the vessel. We're God's vessel for joy. He's willing to fill us up and pour our lives out on other people. That's what it's about. And when we're in that place, we are joy. We are the great news. I am so grateful that that's the way it really works. And when he gives us his joy and we carry it, then it says, now, again, happiness 14 times in all the Bible. Joy, 209 times. You go look it up. Here's another powerful truth. When you and I walk in joy, we're able now to take joy from him and it becomes rejoyed or rejoicing. We take his joy, we rejoy it, like re-gift it, and it becomes rejoicing. Rejoicing is used almost 200 more times. That's the way he's set us up. He's going to give us his life, give it to us as a gift, like a baby in a manger. He's then going to fill us with his joy. He's then going to give it to us in such a way that we have something to bring to others who need it desperately. And when we do, we can do that with a sense of rejoicing, not regret. And so I just want to encourage you to, to give it away, to feel great about giving it away, and watch it fill up as we do. And I remember a time, Marcy and I, when we got married, and uh, we were given some gifts, and one of the dishes that we were given was a deviled eggs dish. And I remember thinking, who gives somebody a deviled eggs, you know, glass dish like this? And it made no sense to me. And um, I just told Marcy, uh, let's not even open. I want to take it back. She said, no, don't take it back. We may need it. Well, then about a year later, somebody else got married and I gave it to them. I regifted it. And then what was funny is uh, a few years ago, we were doing like some, you know, hard-boiled deviled eggs. I thought, man, I wish I had that thing back. Anyway, listen, friends, it's okay to re-gift joy. That's one thing. God wants you to re-gift it. And so it's not like it's a wrong thing. It's the right thing. That's the way it's supposed to work. And so here's the miracle of it. If you and I are committed to emptying ourselves and receiving from Him, then what we receive, we get to re-gift and give it away. And when we do, it takes on an eternal value of joy. And in fact, I've looked at it in Scripture and almost every major movement of God has a joy factor to it. It wasn't done begrudgingly. It was done out of a spirit of excitement and joy. Joy is that momentum when combined with hope 
when in being able to be disrupted in our peace with the way that the things are and the way they need to be, when joy comes in, everything moves. And oh, by the way, when you see Advent 4, when you see how love and faith changes everything, now you know why the joy factor is so important. That's the momentum that moves it all forward so that love and faith can really genuinely be received. But here's how it goes. 1 Peter 1.8. I just want to conclude with this. It says, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Friends, we're turning to a God we cannot see and believing in him as though we were there in that crazy stable with the shepherds, with the rest of the cast. And we're looking at it and we're going, that baby's who I'll give my life for right there. I want to live for him. We need to be able to See Jesus for who he really is. He's, he's not here to stomp out the bad people. He's not here to make us quote-unquote happy. He's here to bring his life to us so that we can finally be full and that we can finally have something to give to others. And he takes great pleasure in us believing in him and walking in that faith. And then you're going to see that those of us who do, we become a part of this thing called the great family of God. We're a part of the the forever people who are literally in heaven um, living that transformed life, experiencing some of heaven while even on earth and bringing those kinds of values and purpose to other people. Hebrews 12, chapter 2, this is what it tells us. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There are so many incredible truths in that passage. One is that right now Jesus is in heaven and while we, at the right hand of God, and also in each of us who have given our lives to him, who have believed in him even though we can't see him. But that's not the thing that moves me the most. The thing that moved me the most is what it says, in the, for the joy set before him endured the cross. He went through every hard thing so that we could experience every good thing. And if you want to look at the very end when he's speaking to the church in our age, in our time, when he speaks to the seven churches in Revelation, he tells every one of them, I want you to be overcomers. I want you to overcome every one of them. How are we going to overcome? Except through the power of the Holy Spirit. If it's a hard, difficult thing, then what are we going to need for the momentum? Joy. He will supply our joy. He is our joy. And so I'm asking you this very day, just to let's uh, empty ourselves, even right now. Would you just take a moment and just empty yourself before the Lord and ask Him, Lord, would you feel me? Would you acknowledge that there's silly, stupid stuff in our life, that there's sin and that there's surface-level junk that really is just a distraction from what God really wants? We're not going to overcome with that stuff in our life. We're going to succumb to that stuff. So we're going to just get rid. And then some of us, we've been hurt so much. We've had some hard things. I'm asking you to trust God and to go to Him again and be willing to step over the threshold of grief. And friends, remember what we said with Kurt? Hope doesn't come till you get pulled back. Do you remember what Eddie said? That He's going to disrupt our peace to bring His peace. 
Can I tell you, here's the amazing truth, and some of us have really had hard stuff happen. To the same degree that you've experienced grief, you will have a depth of joy. I promise you, that's how it works. I know that's hard to step over. I know you've been through some hard stuff. I'm asking you to not minimize it. I don't want you to fake it. I want you to acknowledge this has been really hard. Now step over it and ask God to give you joy. We're not saying all the hard stuff's gonna go away. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying to the degree that you faced hardship so God can bring healing and joy. He wants us free. That this is the hour, this is the day that we live in. We can't not have the joy that we need to bring to others who need it desperately. For the joy set before him, he even endured the cross, the shame, everything. Would you allow him to do that in your life today? Thank you, and the Lord bless us. What a great day to allow him to bring his joy into our lives. Will you bow with me in prayer? Father, for those of us who have just missed you, thank you that we get to have a season of Advent where we anticipate you. We right now want to open up our hearts and our very spirit and receive you as the invited guest of our life. We want you, Lord God, to find your home in the deepest parts, in our innermost beings, in our spirit, where you desire to live. And we ask you to remove the sin and we receive your forgiveness. We ask you to remove the pain and bring your healing. And we thank you that this is just what you do. And as you give your life to us, we're committed to giving it to others. In Jesus' name, amen.